ten dollars for a water is probably top of the list in terms of like vibe checks at events these <laughs> days like yeah dude you gotta have i mean i i feel like it's like a legal question like it, it's, it's like got it's gotta be right especially like water is like the handbrake to when i'm feeling like i've drank too much yeah and the fact that it's like oh yeah that's 13 dollars, it's insane it, or like the thing that is crazy to me too is like places that won't pour you a glass of water from the gun yeah no yeah, that's, that's what i'm saying yeah, i'm like dude like, just pour it what yeah. the fuck yeah i like just give me a cup it doesn't yeah anyway there's a couple of things i want to talk about now that we've brought this up like when did you become self uh titled like a techno snob was this in europe yeah yeah so this was um this was all prior to Kyle and Hobbs. And we talked about it on the last episode, but the label was founded while I was abroad and I was just, you know, like doing a lot of Facebook messenger with Max CLB and Carl Waxcraft. And so it was being abroad and then just getting to experience places like, you know, Berghain, Tresser, um, a couple like parties related to the Sonar Festival in Barcelona. And I'd already enjoyed techno a lot but I think just kind of seeing it in its rawest form is what really kind of like, you know, kicked me down that path of just being super invested in techno. And then coming back home, I mean, it definitely like, you know, these things take a while to germinate, right? Like it wasn't just a kind of like, you know, on and off switch in terms of like being uninterested with the other styles of music that I was, you know, producing or being involved with the communities and like, I would say even for my projects and the stuff that I was making at the time, I mean, it probably took like a couple more years for those sort of like techno seeds to really flower. For sure. What do you see as like the biggest difference between the European scene and the American scene? I mean, obviously it seems like there's a huge difference. Like it's look about, look what we did with dubstep. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that question is definitely like a, one that in some situations is almost like genre specific, right? Where there's like certain genres that just end up like kind of morphing when they, you know, like come across mm -hmm. here from Europe. But I would say that like overall, I think that with social media and the way that music is like being promoted and released now, I think it's actually kind of like, you know, becoming more similar and homogenous, which is, is kind of unfortunate in that sense. But I would say as a broad stroke, the European scene is like a little bit more subtle. Like there's less of the sort of novelty, like even at arc, there's going to be more of that sort of novelty and kind of like, I'll call it the drop factor for lack of a mm -hmm. better expression. But like being out at a club, there's definitely kind of like speaking about Europe now, like there's moments where there's just things that are like, it's not a dance floor heater, but it's like a super deep cut. And the DJ just included it because they like it for the artistic kind of qualities of the song and not the utilitarian ones. Right. Whereas I think like a lot of festivals in the States and a lot of DJs are just playing music that they make specifically for the club. Like if you were to listen to it outside of the context of a, of a DJ mix or outside of the context of a festival, it's not really that memorable, but it exists to get you from point A to point B. Mm. Whereas I would say that I found there was more things where 
I would hear a record and I would remember that record after the set going out in Europe where I was like, I would be on the hunt for the track ID. Mm. Whereas now it's, it feels more commoditized here. Yeah. It's weird, man. It just made me think about just like getting older. Yeah. Like, there's some of that too. And like just how taste changes so much. Like I was talking to a friend today, like there's, probably six people on that i've had on the show that now are completely under a different alias and like are just doing a completely different genre of music and it's just i feel like that's just what happens you know yeah i mean like you can't avoid that it's it's definitely kind of just like admirable if someone really does have that through line in their music both sonically and what their sort of you know like what their vector is as well as just like being able to really become a master of a particular genre and you know for as much as we were just talking about how much i love and appreciate techno it's something that i found myself needing to distance myself from in the studio because it's like you get burned out on genres so quickly right it's like mm. how many more times can i hear a rumble kick how many more times can i hear you know that like my you know same kind of like regurgitation of like 303 or like super like distorted brass horns right where right. you know no one's heard the record yet and i'm already sick of it and i know that's one that's probably going to be relegated to the hard drive then yeah that's tough it's yeah. tough. I don't know. I feel like I was uh so I was making a a techno set. I don't even know what the fuck techno is technically. <laughs> but like I had went out the night before, heard it, was making it the next day, and by the end of it I was just like, dude, I don't I don't want to hear that thumping kick drum anymore. Like I'm done with it. Yeah. But then like the next day I listened to the mix and I was like this is legit like i like listening to this but it's like you lose the context yeah. you're like thinking about do people want to hear constant four on the floor or not it just really depends on like where you are at mindset wise yeah like do you want that energy or do you or are you done with it for now i think that when like inspiration strikes for something that is calling to be that type of record I want to chase after that, right? Because like, there's definitely still things that I'm playing around with in Ableton right now that like are definitely just very techno related, and I don't want to force myself to go in every time, kind of setting those limits because I think that's kind of harkening back to more of like the at least for me the Kyle and Hobbs modus of making music, where it was like I knew what I already wanted the output to be, mm. and so making music honestly got frustrating then when you were having an off day and you couldn't, you know, get to the destination that you wanted to in the way of what you wanted, you know, the project to be, right? Because you, you know, set all of these sort of like criteria and beforehand, right? Where you're like, okay, we're going to make like 128 beats per minute, minor key. We, you know, most of the drum selection and the placement is already spoken for in techno, right? Like there's only so many places that you can put your hi-hats and your claps that make sense even, or that, you know, someone will listen to it and be like, yep, that's this kind of record and I can DJ it or put it in my set or, you know, kind of categorize it in a listener's mind, right? So a very long-winded answer to say that I just want to focus on making music I like. 
<laughs> you yeah. know, and that that no, can change day by day, hour by hour. And I feel like honestly, this is just from doing a lot of these conversations. I feel like that is all you literally have. Yeah. As as an artist at this point, because like, bro, fucking AI is gonna learn how to make techno. Yeah. I mean, it already knows how to make techno. It's oh, like, I'm sure it does. Yeah, and it's just like at the end of the day, like it's not impressive to make a techno track. Nothing in this thing is like impressive anymore. Like when people would make, mm, I don't know, like a dubstep track and be like, holy shit, like how did you do that? Now it's not about how would you, how do you do that? Like, and that's also just another thing. Like I used to ask people a lot about technique. Yeah. And it's still interesting to go under the hood and like learn a specific thing. But there's so much information out there about how to do all these things. And there's so many samples out there that you could just grab that it's not even about like, oh, like, dude, that's such a flex. Like, how did he do that? It's more just like, how does this resonate with me? And it's like that that genuineness about the art. It, it's this intangible thing. But I yeah. feel like that is what is still at the forefront of people who are killing it and like are you know not, i'm not talking about like the people that are like chosen as like the pop artists the elect of yeah. the day i'm talking about i hate like, to rip on diplo but it's like you know yeah. people in that cast i know exactly what you're you're talking about and i think that i'm happy that we're not having those conversations anymore although it was fun right like yeah i remember getting nerdy yeah exactly there. like i, I still rem- like to do it i remember the first time that it, like I got a somatics preset pack for serum. And I was just like, I had no idea how to make these sounds that I was hearing in virtual riot or songs, you know, like contemporaries, like barely alive and stuff like that. And I was, I was so excited. Like I really enjoyed that. And it was like this feeling of, Oh, these are things, you know, that other people don't have, or, you know, like they're harder to access. Obviously like that doesn't hold up with cymatics. Right. But, I think that, you know, what I'm kind of driving towards here is that the availability problem of music production has been solved yeah. with Splice. And, and now it's, okay, what you, what can you do? You have everything at your fingertips, so make a good record. Now, yeah. we're not getting concerned with how do we make this one particular, you know, bass growl or 808. It's not about that anymore. It's about the completeness of the vision of what you're trying to make now which I think yeah. is a really good thing. I'm someone who like advocates for watching a lot of tutorials and like learning from a lot of different styles of music producers and other techniques or just like sometimes sitting down and just watching someone make a beat on an MPC and I'm just like wow like that's dope. yeah. I couldn't I couldn't do that. Like yeah. I am honestly pretty corralled into the world of Ableton and the world of, you know, the select hardware sense that I use or even just watching another musician who's, you know, not an electronic musician per se. I think I learned things from that. For sure. Yeah. Like just learning the the different ways to do things and like all, all the keys are out there. Like if yeah. you want to learn how to make music, it's all out there. Yeah. But I don't know, man. I, I do feel like there are some fundamental things. Like if you were to, if you were completely new to production and I was going to give you some advice about what to learn. Yeah. I would say learn what ADSR is. Definitely. ADSR. 
attack, decay, sustain, release. Like that is something that you're going to use for literally every single sound. I think learning your DAW and the stock plugins too is something that I regret not doing sooner. But like whatever your chosen DAW is, learn the stock plugins inside and out and yeah. learn the workflow tricks in your DAW and the hotkeys. And outside of that, you know, like the world is your oyster. Yeah. I feel like when I started, it was like, yeah, like how do I make bass growls? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think we, I think we were kind of like contemporaries in that sense where it was like, you know, thinking at least I had the thought that it was like, oh, if I just had access to these sounds, to this like secret sound design knowledge that was possessed by yeah. Skrillex yeah. or, or Noisia, then I, that was going to be the rocket fuel for my career. And I think I've, you know, been a little sobered by the fact that like, no, I mean, it's really always been about how good of an artist you are, how good of a conceptualizer you are in terms of like thinking about an idea for a record and then executing on that. It's not that there's some secret knowledge that's possessed by, you know, Mike Pensado or something that's Dude. going, yeah, like Pensado's I mean, place. shout out to Mike Pensado, obviously like Especially amazing like engineer, yeah. ama but like mixing and engineering is, is not creative. And I'm sure yeah. he would say that as well. I mean, there's like a it, right well, in a wrong way to yeah. do things. There's, there's styles yeah. of mixing. And also though, do, the other problem too, and like, I feel like we've talked about this, but just to like talk about it for a second is like you listen to Pensado's place. I don't know how many people listen to Pensado's place still. You should. But <laughs> it's like, he'll go through and be like, yeah, like I got this on my track. And it's like, seven plugins yeah. that are doing the most minuscule amount of adjustment but he just throws it on there because it's like yeah this one's like a good tape saturation this one's like a good compressor and like he might be getting a small kickback from waves i don't I yeah, confirm that though. who knows but i mean yeah i remember just that it would be like so daunting that'd be like oh my god i need all this stuff otherwise my shit's not gonna sound good but it's just not like that it was it's like not i like think that. that goes back to like this availability problem of thinking that it was like going to be solved by a plugin yeah. by a sample by a sound design technique right and now i think with all of those things at my fingertips i've realized that it's not about that anymore and like yeah. i'm trying to use less plugins overall i'm, I'm trying to but it, but you, it's confusing yeah right? it is very confusing Isn't it's it, very counterintuitive it's a, it's a confusing time because yeah. it's like it almost feels like everything there's like everything's being shared and it makes it almost watered down but it's like all right so what are we going to do now it's like the artists that are still really cool and doing cool shit now it's it's really through what you were saying that through line like what is their artistry what is their vision what is like it's like every little move you know yeah i think that like it's this idea of like completeness of vision, right? Where it's yeah. like the artists who are doing world building, you know, like, and I mean, world building is like just really good branding, right? Like we can call it for what it is, but like yeah. really creating a sort of body of work that has a consistent tone. And like, obviously, you know, there's not like a message per se in electronic music, the way that there is in like vocal based or even like album and narrative based things. But like, I think, yeah. Without that, you kind of have just the space to actually focus on their productions from a like a purely sonic standpoint. And I'd love the people who can change their genre 
and still sound consistent. And so yeah. I honestly, I would love to play something and just kind of see yeah, let's, what let's you think about it yeah. from hearing the Kyle and Hop stuff. But we can jump into the tune on homage. you call this breakbeat i don't know (laughs) yeah Thank you. 
Yo, that was cool. I don't know what to call that, but that was cool. I think like you kind of said it perfectly. It's definitely like an amped up version of like the YouTube jungle mixes. But it's like higher fidelity. Yeah, it's got my own flavor to it for sure. And like it definitely has a lot more crispiness and like definition in the highs than those things normally have, especially being like, you know, just like CD rips, right? Yeah, let's yeah. let's shout out Sweater Disco real quick. Yo, shout out Sweater for, Disco on the master. Uh, yeah, for mastering and mixing and all that good jazz. Sweater, I love you. <laughs> yeah, dude, that was super cool. What was the uh, the like talking? That is a sample of a sample from a DJ Shadow record called "Building a Castle with a Grain of Sand," and it's I honestly I behooving myself to not know the original artist but it's someone on like a ed sullivan type show from like the 40s or 50s and i first heard it in the dj shadow record and i just loved it so much and so the track is called on homage because it's an homage to dj shadow and that sample in a word, way word. and so kind of coming full circle using it in definitely a different way than shadow used it as kind of like a pre-drop and a break vocal that's dope honestly like you're like it's so many layers yeah that's a lot of my stuff i think it's it's cool to talk about but it's also weird to just vocalize because you know i am thinking about it and it makes sense to me and then having to like put words to it you know it definitely can break down sometimes so if i if i sound like a fool <laughs> No, I mean, I don't think there needs to be like an explanation, like a deep explanation for all the reasons that you do stuff. It just... And it's like the reason it. why I picked the sample. Like that kind of ends there, right? Like everything else about the track is just like listening to a lot of jungle and then that kind of came out the other side. And I, I think that I definitely want to sort of keep pulling on this thread and see where it goes though because I think that it sounds to my ear at least, something that I could listen to in another two years when I do my third iteration of the Podducer podcast yeah. and still like yeah. and still feel like it was fresh. And like, I think it's because it's not trying to be the hardest techno record, the hardest, you know, bass house record in the world. Like that stuff can age so quickly. And so for music that I'm putting out under the Kai alias, I want to try and make things that I can come back to in a period of time and still enjoy or still feel the same emotion that I had when I was making the song. Yeah, dude, that's actually like to make something timeless. Is yeah. Huge. And I'm not saying like, this is going to be the most timeless record in the world. No, but, but like, I, I hear what you're saying that it is timeless in the sense that there's nothing there. That's like, Oh, Whoa, what the fuck? Like, yeah. what is that random little thing? It's like, everything in there was just nice like it was just good yeah you know well there's not produced. like a, a tiktok or something that's not going to be funny anymore or like there's not going to be a type of lead or a bass stab that is only good for this summer you know like there's so much stuff that i did for kyle and hobbs that i feel like had an expiration date on that and i knew that going in and i still wanted to make it and i still wanted to show the world what i had to say through my music but even just listening back to it i felt like it was a time capsule in a way that you know i kind of had to dust it off and sort of think like okay i, I thought this was going to be the next thing yeah and then sort of 
be faced with the fact that I was like, uh, it wasn't the next thing, but you know, here we are. Yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, this, I feel like this conversation almost is lending itself to just like aging. Yeah. In, in a sense. Cause like part of this is that we did a podcast like two, three years ago and it's almost like a touching back and seeing it's a retrospective in many ways. Yeah. And I mean, I think that like, you know, being very honest with the people who didn't know me back then, you know, it's like, I haven't, come that far in terms of the metrics that people look at you know like followers or like you know festival plays or stuff like that like i'm still who i am still kind of you know like at the same echelon of that sort of like you know notoriety spectrum but i feel like i have come a long way in terms of like how i think about making music and what my goals are now yeah that might that might lend itself to the other aspect too that like people recognize that you're a You've been in the game for a long time. Yeah, that you you are to go back to like being a DJ and like being a selector of music. It's like almost in this day and age, being a selector of sounds is more important than like generating it from nothing, quote unquote. Like, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's what the approach is with a lot of the drum and bass and jungle stuff. It, honestly, something I've been doing recently is like in the 90s they had sample cds um i'm not sure if you're familiar with those but for somebody listening who's, who's not familiar like you know there was there the internet was in, in existence obviously but like download speeds and bandwidth wasn't high enough to just pull down a bunch of you know wave or mp3 samples and so they would have them on cds and there's some super classic samples i, I guarantee you've heard one of these before but they were disseminated in the form of CDs. And so on the internet archive, you can pull down something like half a terabyte of sample CDs. And it's super useful for drum and bass and jungle where these breakbeats are, are very living things where like they all stem from this sort of first generation of like the think break, the amen. The th I was going to say. Yeah, that right. Thing. And then you have like your second generation of breakbeats that have been, you know, resampled and are still viewed as, you know, like, okay, this is something that like, this is a second generation amen. And I, I'm not as into it or as learned as some people are, but definitely the 90s sample CDs are a massive key. Like if you're just starting out today, definitely yeah. download that for free from internet archive <laughs> yeah i don't support torrent downloads though i but you know if you were to somehow acquire the 500 <laughs> terabytes of sample cds do it but like it's kind of like record digging in your own hard drive because all of these were just on a single cd track so they're not separated or key labeled or they don't have like a bpm marker on them so they yeah, do take like more sample work. after exactly sample. It, sample like silent sample and so it takes more work to dig through it but it feels more satisfying when you do have a score and you find something that's good and i think part of the way that my ear is developed is learning how to take a sound that just by itself sounds bad or cheesy or dated you know think like something out of like a roland or like a casio keyboard but being able to build that up with my own sounds and production almost in like a backing capacity to really make that front and center and give it enough body so that it can stand in a modern track for sure i feel like the think break is just like one like you learn about the amen break yeah the think break is awesome That's hot pants super good too hot pants yeah hot pants break oh what are some other good breaks 
I mean, I would say like we kind of hit them right. So like Amen think hot pants are like sort of the three top level ones. Uh-huh. And then there's even sort of like, you know, deviations of those as people have resampled them at different tempos or on different like, you know, like an MPC or like, you know, I think like SP 1200s or like super vintage kit like that. And then they get their own flavor and then someone steals it out of another song and repeats the process. Uh-huh. And over time, it, you know, gains a certain character, right? Through just that sort of like multi-producer resampling. All right, let's listen to one more track and we'll kind of give it a, uh, this is going to be a shorter episode. But what was the other one? Let's listen to Please Hold. is uh, another sample for for the kids at home if you've ever been on hold this is the default cisco hold music word yeah that pad is like from the song that you hear and so like the idea with the song was kind of trying to make it feel like in this section you were listening to it on a phone if this was on hold music i'd be pumped i'd be like dude that's like you know like what if hold music was jungle jungleized? Yeah. yeah, dude, I would be very into that. Like, I would, I would want to go back on hold. Yeah, yeah, I'd be like, I can wait. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what I really enjoy doing, where it's something that's kind of hiding in plain sight, like it's right in front of you, but it takes knowing to kind of like pick it out, and mm-hmm. I feel like I just enjoy that sort of like you know, interplay of like kind of tucking things in there. Like I know we were talking about in the last episode is like leaving little samples and songs. And I think, you know, this is my way of still doing that, but not being as obvious about it. 
Yeah, no, I think that that's it's like a commentary. It is a yeah, it is, it is a commentary, and it's like I hope that there are people out there who you know listen to the songs in this project and do know, and you know, obviously it's like a lot more niche, right? Like there's probably less people who would appreciate that, but I'm making music for those people and kind of setting my sights on some of the things that maybe take like more unearthing. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's something to it that if you're the one who, again, it's like the selector and like, let's say there's someone who's not at the same knowledge base that you are. Yeah. And they heard this song and like, oh, that's really interesting. But then they heard the original and they're like, oh, what the fuck? That was the original? Yeah. Like, there's so many levels to that. Like, when I was a kid, there were like so many songs. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is so cool. Like, the first time I heard a beat was on someone's mixtape. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is like their beat. But it's not. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just, I wasn't even aware of that because I was a kid. I think that over time, people and producers have kind of like shattered this myth of like the artist as the sole creator. Right. And like, I mean, just in other forms of art, like Andy Warhol comes to mind, right? Like people in his warehouse were making a lot of his prints or helping him, you know, like obviously I'm not an Andy Warhol historian, but like, I know that, you know, there was help. There was like an assembly line, right. Of how he was mass producing art. And that kind of came to define his style, right. Of pop art. And like, even like the Shakespeare effect too, where there's the theories that like other people helped him ghostwrite, or it was a group of people writing stories under a single name. Right. And I think music is no different, right. When it's like, you hear something on the radio, there's like a, a harem of people who have worked on that, a crop. Right. And now, you know, just a kid setting out to make music in their bedroom. Like they have a really good shot of making an amazing record because like we've been talking about, like, you know, the barrier to entry is that much lower. But I think if I was putting myself in their shoes, I would feel so overwhelmed and just like kind of hypothetically picking out, you know, my favorite producer artists and thinking like, how are they this creative? How do they have this many ideas? Right. And just like kind of, feeling like super intimidated by that. And then it it takes being in the scene for a while or being a music appreciator to realize like, oh no, those are sampled chords. Oh no, that's like, you know, abscunded from this song, right? And like, no one talks about that. No. But that's honestly a lot of what makes music memorable is the fact that people are sampling or stealing or copying from other people. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, like I remember I was listening... Like back in the day, there's just this random song that I that had like all these really cool drum fills. And <clears throat> looking back on I was like, damn, like how did they make all these like MIDI drum sounds yeah. <clears throat> sound so like live sounding? And looking back on it, it's just like, dude, that was a sample. And it's like either way, I thought that that was cool. Yeah. It didn't matter. Like back in the day, I was like, oh, dude, it's so cool. Like you can program all this stuff. It's like, I don't even think they did, though. I'm honestly sure that drum fills and stuff like that. Like, you know, maybe it's the one sort of like exception to the rule where the guy's got like, you know, contact or battery and is actually doing everything or like they have a drum kit mic'd up, maybe. Who knows? But like, I think most of the time, like, you're just better off using the sample because there's something intangible 
with the, like i think breaks are the best example of this right for like sure, for sure. so many people have set out to like make a mm. cleaned up version of the amen break or the think break or something like that and it it doesn't have the same zhuzh as the original even though the original like has problems you know like there's definitely aspects of it when you really slam the compression on a, uh, the compression on it like it is jarring it is kind of tearing at the ears like and I think that also shows the artistry of knowing how to manipulate, you know, manipulate that. it, clean it up and sort of make it work for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Just to like, I don't know, man. The, I feel like the later stage of the game is just realizing that you just stand on the shoulders of giants. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we've kind of, that's like the thesis statement of this podcast, right? Is <laughs> yeah. like, there's so many things that like, honestly hats off to the people who really can just look at a blank project file and make a record a hundred percent from scratch and i think like most producers really set out to do that and then over time you realize that like even if you could it's not always advisable to because it's lacking those sort of x factors and those intangibles that make it memorable and make people connect with it right because like obviously like you know the casual listener like probably doesn't maybe they know what the think break is but like they certainly don't know some random dub siren that's in a bunch of drum and bass <laughs> and, and jungle records but like hearing that same sound where it just literally is you know like bite for bite the same sound in another person's track that's how you construct genres and stuff like that it is people using the same stuff yeah, there's also like a sense of um, virtue signaling, not in a bad way, not like a bad virtue signal, but it's like, yo, you've heard this sample, yeah. you know what I'm about yeah. to do and like you fuck with it. Yeah, like, that's good. It's not like like you can use it bare bones. I mean, it's like I think it's honestly not so much virtue signaling as much as it's just kind of like showing that you're in a particular community or a genre or sort of yeah. being able to kind of tip your hat to things and like yeah, let them live on way. in your music. I know I know what you mean by virtue signaling. Virtue though. signaling has a bad connotation though. It's kind of just like showing that you've done the listening and you respect the heritage of the genre yeah. and then being able to sort of like, you know, not that people own genres, but kind of like, you know, borrow that, lease it for your idea. Yeah. And I think that's like, honestly, like we could talk, we could have a whole podcast about like rave stabs and stuff like that too. <laughs> but like, I mean, I'm for sure another time, it, yeah. definitely another time, but like, yeah, the stabs and the breaks are just like two things that like, if you're someone who knows how to actually make one of those by scratch, like good for you. Go for it. Make for a sample it. pack. We'll yeah. all be hyped. Yeah, on it. please. Like we honestly need some new breaks that don't sound like shit. Like they were recorded on like a Casio watch, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Well, there was some knowledge here. Definitely. Thank you for having me on, man. Dude, of course. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to plug my Instagram. Yeah, yeah, plug. It's DJ Kai yeah. on Instagram, on SoundCloud and Twitter. On Instagram, definitely focusing on a lot of the visual stuff too and sort of like getting ready to go down the path of reactive visuals for when I start playing sets again. Obviously, like Twitter, the home of shit posting, man. So like there's, there's a couple avenues if you're interested in Kai content. Obviously, releases will be coming on most major streaming platforms and... Hopefully soon you'll be hearing on homage and please hold.
Hell yeah. This but first play here for Jerry yeah. exclusive. <laughs> Thank you. Ex- exclusive. <laughs> exclusive, yeah. BBC or BBC Radio One, all one dance. <laughs> Dude, it's been too long. I haven't listened to it. I like need serious just for that. We probably need to like cut my my cockney acting. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, we're, 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 we're gonna keep it. <laughs> just for fun. All right. Later, everybody. Peace.